All right, and welcome into Not Just Another Sports Podcast. We're excited to have a Red Friday edition of the podcast for you. And joining us today, we are very fortunate to have none other than Aaron Ladd of KHSB 41 News. Aaron, how are you doing today? Price, thank you so much. Red Friday and uh, a lot to talk about in Chiefs Kingdom. Awesome. Um, I'm looking here at your bio and you are recently moved to Kansas City. You want to just talk a little bit about yourself, where you came from, and what brought you to Kansas City besides KHSB? Yeah, so I'm originally from the Atlanta area, so Hawks, Falcons, Braves, all those lovable losers, those are the teams that I claim. I studied journalism at at Mizzou for undergrad, finished there in 2018, and had my first job in the Myrtle Beach area. Uh, heard from Kansas City as my second stop, and I've been here since April 2020, right around when it was uh, it was weird. When I came here for my interview, it was fine. I was eating at Jack Stack, having a good time, and then by the time I had my first day, it was it was mass everywhere kind of thing. Uh, got here right after the parade. Fun covering the team. Last year, covered a Super Bowl. It was virtual, a lot of things online and weird like that. But it's been really fun to cover Kansas City and and get to know the community here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you really kind of like lucked out there with the um, lovable losers Atlanta teams because you got the Hawks are doing well. We'll we'll get to the Braves here in a minute because I want to talk some baseball. And then you went to Mizzou. Like you, Georgia is doing great this year, obviously a great football program, but then you went to Mizzou. So did you keep your George, did you keep your bulldog fandom or are you a tiger? Uh, I'm, I'm a tiger. I owe them too much money still to, to claim any other, any other school. So might, they might claim you for the amount that you owe probably <laughs> for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm through and through tiger here, but it's cool to see the Georgia teams doing it, man. It, it, it that's my bad. It's uh it's, it's been a while. Uh, the Hawks run this most recent year was something I had never seen as a fan. Obviously, the Braves had their their run in the 90s, but uh, it's been fun having the success. It's been fun seeing it. Now, if somebody can finally cash in, if somebody could finally cash in, I'm actually an Atlanta United fan, too. I know this is an audio. Oh, yeah, they have a huge following. I know that they pack that stadium. Yeah, audio only, but I'm showing off now. I got the uh, I got the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is the nice. paper there when they won. Um I got that got that framed up because it was the first time a team had won a title price. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I had never seen an Atlanta team win a title. We you, know the they story don't, about the collapses. Do the all. do the Falcons not have a banner for the first half of the Super Bowl? I figured they had like a 28-3 banner, right? Not you two. <laughs> not you two. Hey, hey well, well, why don't we get to the Braves here first? Um, last night they went up 3-1 on the Dodgers. Um, it looks like they got after Julio Urias pretty quick. Uh, a lot of solo home runs, but they end up winning 9-2. They're up 3-1. They were up 3-1 last year and this happened. Do you think that this is the time that they get it done? What do you what is your what is your status on the Braves right now? Speaking specifically to game four, let's talk game four before I try and make any prediction here, but I mean, Oscar Enoa, who was the announced starter, it was supposed to be a bullpen game for the, mm-hmm. for the Braves anyway. The starting rotations have kind of been patchwork a lot of here in the in the, in the postseason. Um, he got scratched like two hours before the game. So you're like, oh my goodness, they go with the opener situation. The bullpen eventually covers six and two thirds. Drew Smiley put four innings on his arm. Uh, it was uh, it was a true team performance from from the Braves, and it's scary because it's so traumatic. Price like literally the same situation as last year. You're up three one against a Dodgers team, which I think is better than the Braves team. Dodgers were over a hundred win team this year in baseball. 
Braves, 88 wins, fewest of a division winner in baseball this year. Uh, they seem undermatched, and yet again, their 3-1 lead in the NLCS. Uh, I really hope so. Everybody keeps asking me, are, are they going to slay the dragon? Are they going to get it done? I really hope so. And if you want anybody on the mound for Atlanta, it's Max Freed. He's going tonight for the Braves. Uh, I'm very superstitious too. So I'm going to be standing in the exact same spot that I was <laughs> for all of these games, holding the exact same fork in my hand and, and hoping they bring it home. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing that's really interesting about the Braves is too, is that they, um, you know, they're doing this without so many of their big stars. Um, obviously Acuna is probably, I assume he's done for the years. There's no chance of him coming back for the playoffs. Uh, Marcelo Zuna shot himself in the foot more or less. Um, you know, they're doing this with so without so many other stars. Obviously, they still got Freddie Freeman and some of those guys, but the pitching, the pitching is really what they were just outstanding in the Milwaukee series, which they were supposed to be the best te pitching team in baseball. So it's been really cool to see them step up. Um, the broadcast was talking last night about how the bullpen games have actually become the more fun games to watch. And I completely agree, especially when you're talking National League Baseball, where, you know, if they're going to pinch hit someone or not. Um, it, it's been excellent. I think they've managed the bullpen really well, the roster really well. Um, like, I I didn't have any complaints with them uh, pinch hitting in the first inning there when they had them on the ropes and they had a man on first. I thought that was the right call there. Um, yeah, and, you know, Max Fried's been really good, and he's super versatile. They've even talked about using him on the base, base pass before and pinch hitting. He's a good hitter too. He's a good hitter too. You talked about the the bullpen games being exciting. I mean, it stresses your manager. It stresses your bench coach. Every play matters. We talk about that in postseason baseball so much. Like you can't take ninety feet for granted. Whereas in the regular season, guys are just getting bases. Now every pitch matters. Every base matters. And I'm giving Brian Snicker more credit. I know a lot of Braves country wanted his head when it wasn't going right. After the Acuna injury, there was a lot of down parts in this season. I give Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager, credit as well for the moves that he made at the deadline. Who knows? I know Jorge Soler is a guy. You talked about the Braves not doing it with a lot of their key players. He tests positive before one of the games here in the postseason. I mean, it's just, it's um, it's been really cool to watch it. And I'm not going to make any predictions. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, postseason baseball is really about how well teams are handling adversity. And you know, the Dodgers, I think one thing that you can take solace in the fact is that they had them on the ropes in game three. I mean, they were looking like they were going to go up 3-0, and it took some kind of last-minute miracles from Bellinger and Betts to make it happen. And I, I think that's that's a sign, too. They've been hitting the Dodger pitching all series. Um, I mean, and the Dodgers, truthfully, I love to see it, especially because especially because they are a team that is so smart that they use their money well. And I personally, even back when he was uh, a Cleveland baseball player, I did not care for Trevor Bauer. So I um, didn't break my heart to see what's happened to him. Dustin May had that UCL injury. I'm pretty sure he's on Tommy John. Uh, Max Scherzer's arm is tired. Julio Urias looks Max tired. We, it goes back to what we were saying about Atlanta kind of going through their run. In the Hawks run, they went through Madison Square Garden and a good quote-unquote Knicks team that everybody was hot about Trey Young comes in there and quiets it in five. And then seeing the Dodgers get the Dodgers fans leave yesterday, the Braves do this to their fan base, a team that won over 100 games to see them do it in L.A. It's special. But like Kobe said, Price, the job's not finished. There's a there's a lot of series left to play. I don't think the Dodgers are going down without a fight. 
Absolutely. It'll be interesting for sure. It's been compelling baseball. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit, you talked about coming in during COVID um, and how difficult that was for your job as a reporter. Um, I wanted to ask you, you have a reputation for asking excellent questions to the players. And I think that takes a lot of courage because you guys do not get unlimited access to these players, especially now that they're in Zoom. And you still have to maintain a relationship with those players. So for instance, if you come in after the Baltimore game and go, so Clyde, how does it feel to choke away the whole entire game and let your team down? You're probably not going to get called on anymore to ask questions. So my question to you is, how do you ask questions that are good, unique, and interesting and get more info out of the players with still maintaining that relationship? Man, it, it, it kind of all goes back to the COVID situation, right? It, the last year's press access was was zoom only I, I, we didn't have in person access so for somebody who was new on the beat like me uh i was meeting a lot of these people through zoom this is how you're forming relationships and introducing yourself to people is in this very sterile i talk you talk one two three four type formulate conversations and i it just didn't work for me. I guess I wanted to find a way to get past that. I wanted to find um, some way where when my name was announced, Aaron Ladd is next, unmute your mic. Uh, a player knew that I was gonna ask them a question in a different way, or maybe we wouldn't talk about ball that question. We would talk about something they tweeted about, or uh, it just allowed me to kind of get to know them on a different level versus just, Hey, you met, you did this and did that. Why did you do that? I, it was just a different approach for me. I don't know. Maybe I just see it a little bit differently and wanted to uh, approach it a little bit differently. But uh, that was kind of the world that we were living in at that time. So you had to find a way to tell a different story through through a unique medium. Well, as someone who gets the opportunity to listen to press conferences and such. I can tell you that we, as the fans, we appreciate it because so often when you hear press conferences, I just skip, 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 skip. Cause like, you know, this is just garbage or, you know, we look forward to the, the opportunity to play the Titans, good football team. It's a snore fest. So for you to get that out of those players, especially whenever they have been so coerced into not saying anything, but talking, um, it, 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 it's a really good skill, especially whenever you get to do fun stuff like, you know, you brought up that meme of Patrick Mahomes in the Cleveland game, which is like, fuck it, Tyreek Hill down there somewhere. It's perfect. I mean, it's, uh, it's fun. It gets them going. And you know that they've seen that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, they interact with it. I, we follow them all. So we know they see it. And honestly, I think about it. I'm, I'm 25 myself. Patrick just turned 26 this year. Like, I'm sure we're not too many degrees. Obviously, our bank accounts are nowhere near the same price. <laughs> But like, we're not too far away from each other's timelines on Twitter, I would think. One of my first ones that I asked that I guess got a little attention was about Andy Reid's foggy face mask against Houston. That was like week one. It was the first time it was the first time we were in like the post game zoom room or whatever. Um, and like, everybody asked the X's and O's question we I mean, the game wasn't very good. KC ran away with it. And the thing that everybody was talking about on Twitter was Andy Reid looks like he's in the Death Star, or Andy Reid's <laughs> foggy face mask. So I wanted to, I, I just wanted to ask him, got a good chuckle out of him. And I think it, I think it, you know, it, it was a little bit more valuable than just a, what do you think about your run game tonight, coach? Yeah. And, and I think, I think one thing too, that you, that you bring up that's really valuable too, is that to recognize that, you know, like a tool chest, you have all sorts of different tools in there. 
I'm not calling you a tool, by the way. Um, <laughs> but there are different things that do, yeah, do different things, right? And there's there's really tenured members of that staff who are there to ask the like, Andy, how did uh, how did Clyde look tonight? They're there to ask those questions, and then you have sought found an opportunity to ask the questions that may be a little bit more human interest, a little bit more pop culture, a little bit more social media related. And I, I think that's working super great for you and keep up the good work, man. I appreciate that. Honestly, I, in my last job, I worked in Myrtle Beach. I was actually a part-time digital content producer. So I'd run our stations like Facebook, Twitter pages, whatever. And like you would spend an hour writing this really uh, in-depth investigative piece that would go in-depth and find all these different angles and it would get maybe 10 likes on Facebook. And then you post something stupid about happy birthday, Cheryl Crow, and it would get like a thousand likes. And I'm like, what uh, What really would get the engagement here? Engagement is so important to what we do. And I mean, it's an entertainment business at the end of the day. Like people want to want to feel entertained. They want to laugh. Even if their team sucks, they want to feel a sense of community. And uh, it's been cool to be a part of Cheese Kingdom in that way. I, I completely agree. I agree. Someone who, as someone who writes articles, um, you know, I write an article about, uh, you know, why Baker Mayfield shouldn't get a new contract and it gets like 10 views. But then like a couple of uh, weeks ago, or it was in the off season, we're talking like February, I wrote a piece about Frank Clark versus uh, Justin Houston, how the Chiefs made the wrong decision. And that was pretty controversial. And I still get like views from that all the time. Like people still talking about that, commenting on that article. So whatever is topical is definitely, definitely what people want to read. So speaking of topical, um, we saw the Chiefs beat the Washington football team. Tale of two halves. Are they all fixed? Is it all better? Did the Chiefs return to their form after that last half of football? Absolutely not. Are you, are you, like I was told this is a podcast where we can keep it real. That's so right. let's keep it real. I mean, the defense is not fixed. They played the Washington football team who they should have beaten. Uh, and I'm encouraged by what I saw, but I also saw the propensity to turn the ball over, Price. I mean, I have no confidence in this team's ability to go 70 plays in all their drives. Like, they kind of combust once they get over midfield. It's, it's not just the turnovers. That's another part of, of what the whole conundrum is with their league-leading 14 turnovers. It's like they're happening in the red zone. They're bouncing off Tyreek Hill's hands into the – into the hands of an opponent, it's like you're doing everything right and you're in the right spot for it. And it just is a mental thing. According to Andy Reid, he talked about he feels like guys are pressing too much at times, which was clear in uh, Patrick Mahomes' interception before halftime. I mean, that that was just, that was come on, man, and shacked in a fool all in one. But it, it just, he seems like, and this is according to Andy Reid, he says, the team's just focusing too much on doing the right thing on game day. And, and maybe that's a indication that they're not necessarily comfortable yet. And the chemistry still needs to be built. Uh, we got, we know about the new offensive linemen and uh, the time it's going to take for the rookies to kind of gel there. I did like what I saw from Mike Rimmers as well, but to say that they're fixed off a second half performance after I just saw the Jekyll and Hyde in the first half. No, I'm not with that. Yeah. I, I mean, here's the thing. I was talking to a friend who we were talking about someone who's had five girls and they're trying for their sixth and they want it to be a boy. And they're talking about, my friend said, oh, well, you know, the odds are in the favor this time. Like they, they're definitely due for a boy. And I said, no, the odds are still 50-50 this, this time. 
there is a little bit when it comes to the Chiefs turnovers of flip a coin. You know, there are times that in a series of 10 flips, you can get nine heads and then one tails. It does definitely feel like the Chiefs are getting the bad break when it comes to the turnovers. But also, I think there's something to the fact that well, Tyree Kill doesn't have a lot of drops this season, but the two that he has have wound up in a defender's hands because they're right there. They know the tendencies of where he likes to go with the ball. And they're playing this nothing behind them defense where they're always, everything's in front of them. So players are there to make the, make a play on it. Do I think that they are going to have as bad of luck as they have had right now? No, I do think that they do stand to have a little market correction there, but I do think that this, you know, the, the time of Patrick Mahomes having six interceptions or 10 interceptions where he had a really good low interception number. I do think that's a little bit, might be a little bit of the thing of the past. And that that's okay. Like interceptions are mostly overrated, especially in the sense of the times that they come. I mean, I think, uh, I think Sam Mellinger of the KC star, he, he kind of broke down the interception and said, okay, three of these were off of drops off of receivers hands. Three of these were at the end of the half or the end of a game and got to have it situations. And two of these were just stupid mistakes. So yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. Do you think that um, obviously coming up to the Titans, do you think that the Titans winning on Monday night, it helps or hurt the chiefs chances? I've heard theories on both. The Titans are a good team and you're going to have to beat good teams to get where Kansas city wants to go. It doesn't help or hurt them. I mean, maybe, uh, Kansas City mentally feels a little bit better because they beat a team with a higher record, but the Kansas City needs to be looking in the mirror. And they've said that they've said this themselves. We're still moving the ball at a historic rate. We're still scoring on our possessions best in the league and best uh, that we've seen in the league in quite a long time. And I agree with them. They are moving the ball. They're doing that type of thing. But uh, I'm not I'm not one to say. Uh, the turnovers are going to even out. At a certain point, we have to say, this is just who this team is. Patrick Mahomes has been a little bit sloppier with the ball this year. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been a little bit more inconsistent. I know fans wanted to, quote, unquote, burn him to the ground or whatever after the fumble in Baltimore, but they've just not been at, there's been a missing step. Maybe it takes this team a little bit longer to get it together, and then they hit their stride. Sure. But right now, they're turnover prone. I was on an Eagles podcast right before that game and they asked, oh, what's something that's guaranteed to happen? I'm like, oh, are over one turnover guaranteed because they're just a team that's lackadaisical with the ball because maybe they know, hey, we only need to string together three straight drives of a touchdown to kind of put this one away at any point, which is kind of what they did in Washington. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, kind of a self-scout thing too, where they they know that they turn the ball over. So teams look at that and know like, hey, this is a team that we're going to try to punch the ball out or put them in those situations. I definitely think that that's concerning. Um, so with the Chiefs, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're kind of, you have a really just honest evaluation of where they are right now. They're a three and three football team. Um, they've won some games that were good. They've lost some games that were bad. Um, ultimately, do you see, what do you see the avenue for the Chiefs improving to get to where they want to be? Do you think that the best avenue for that is for them to go into the trade market? Do you think that it's in-house? You know, we saw some lineup changes with Juan Thornhill, Nick Bolton by injury, Mike Rimmers at right tackle. Do you think that the options are within house and the Chiefs just need to kind of, kind of quote unquote, right the ship? Or do you think that there are moves that need to be made? I'm kind of at the wait and see approach on, on a few aspects. The one is the Josh Gordon experiment. Obviously, uh, didn't really see anything from him in Washington after the catch he had uh, in his first performance here at home against Buffalo. But 
what what do you have there? I don't I don't know if anybody really knows right now based on what he's put on tape with Kansas City. Uh, he's obviously they say the right things. Patrick says he's a big time uh, target who could make an impact in this offense. Uh, let's see what you have there. Uh, also, Chris Jones would like to see him healthy and see what you have there. Mike Dana has been your best defensive lineman. So obviously you need to be looking at an area to, to improve there. The sack numbers are not where you want to be. Frank Clark hasn't had an impact this year uh, as of yet. We saw them rumored to be in on Whitney Merciless. And I know people have been saying that he was offered more to come here uh, and just took a deal with Green Bay out of familiarity with what they were doing there. Um, so it looks like Brett Veach and company are, are are poking around on the defensive side of the ball, obviously. So, uh, so on offense, I would say see what you have with Gordon. I'd love to see more Jarek McKinnon, uh, and we have seen more snaps from him. He's a guy that can make plays in space uh, in the screen game, something Andy Reid loves to do, and uh, with CEH on IR. Daryl looked great last week, but would love to see uh, more snaps for Jarek on passing downs. And then on defense, D-line. And obviously, if uh, Hitchens going to miss some time, uh, we're going to need we're going to see those young athletic guys now. Now it's their time to shine, and that sort of thing. I'm not sure if Charvarius Ward suits up this week. I know he put in another full practice or was participating in practice today. Anything that you can get out of him would be great at this point because we haven't seen him in a while. I know he wasn't great in in limited action before he got hurt the quad injury, but you need bodies too, man. It's a it's a it's a battle of attrition in the National Football League, and they added an extra game this year, and this team's kind of behind the eight ball right now. So uh, see what you got from your injured guys and then go to the trade, the trade market. Yeah, and you know, I, I almost wonder a little bit about how the Chiefs are not an organization that leaks out information on accident. You know, pretty much anything that they want out, it gets out. I think back to the Marcus Peters trade, of all pe- people, Jason Lockenfora, who noted Kansas City hater because his Orioles sucked in the ALCS, but he was one of the first people to bring up, hey, the Chiefs might trade Marcus Peters, and we're like, oh, this is stupid. They would never, and then it eventually happened. Um, with the Josh Gordon stuff, I almost wonder a little bit, like, Chiefs usually, like I said, they don't leak out stuff unless they want it out. I almost wonder if the hype there is more, like, to command respect than he actually deserves. Like, maybe he gets in here, he looks washed for the most part like oh he can do a few things for us if we need him to but this isn't this isn't going to take this offense to the next level so then they just hype the shit out of him hoping that teams are going to respect that like you know if he if he commands a double team and it leaves Kelsey wide open in the middle it might have been worth it I I don't know but I mean yes he he's an absolute unit you see him on the field you're like this is a big dude he's huge he's a monster but I've not, you know, we've not seen anything yet, but then again, he's not been on the field. He's 32, Price. I mean, this is not prime Josh Gordon anymore. Like, it's kind of a lottery ticket. It's kind of a, you know, you you pick him up, see what he's got, kick the tires on him. If it works, it works. The hype theory is actually kind of funny because it has all been hype to this point, hype and and one catch. But that speaks to the wanting a, a true wide receiver, too. I think we've all seen flashes from each of the other guys this year. McCole Hardman has been impressive outside of the fumble, the fumbling, I should say. Uh, Pringle and Robinson have touchdowns each. So, I mean, there's promise from those guys when they show up, but can they do it consistently? Yeah, for sure. Okay, we got, I got two more questions for you. Um, one non-cheese related. You were telling me that you live in the downtown area. Um, how do you feel about the downtown baseball idea? Obviously, John Sherman came out 
kind of more or less alluded to the fact that they want a downtown stadium in the near future. What's your thoughts on that? Would you like to see a downtown stadium or would you like to see them go somewhere else or stay in Kaufman? I think it's so cute that fans actually think that they have an impact on, on how these decisions are made. Like if the powers that be want a new stadium or want the revenue that would come from relocating, which is really what we're talking about, then they're going to get that revenue, whether it's through a profit sharing, something that they cook up with local government, or if they get it through private funds. For example, in Atlanta, I went to Mizzou in 2014. By the time I graduated in 2018, all three of our all three of our teams had new stadiums or had renovated their old stadiums because that's what that's what's happening right now in professional sports. Like all of these megaplexes and huge operations. You think of Jerry World, you think of SoFi Stadium now in LA. That stadium is like, oh my goodness. Like SoFi Stadium is like futuristic compared to some of these older places like Lambo and, and Arrowhead. Uh, downtown KC, I heard this rumor when I first got here. I know they were talking about that area where the KC Star building was for a little bit. I, I, I don't really have a dog in the fight, but I, I will say that I have followed professional sports for a very long time, and I know that the general public usually gets screwed in these type of deals. They end up footing too much of the money, and the stadium goes in a lower-income area that really can't do anything, or they get pushed out of their homes. I know in Atlanta when they built the new bins, there was churches in that area. There was uh, residential areas and a lot of a lot of just ugly things that happened around new stadiums being built. Uh, good luck to Kansas City on their journey. Yeah, you know, you brought up a little bit of we don't really have a voice in that, and I think I think you're honestly right because they're going to get it however they want to. But the first thing they're going to go to is the taxpayer, right, and ask them the fine taxpayers of Jackson County to float the bill because that's what they've done in the past. And that'll be their first, that'll be their first step. Um, and, you know, I think, I think you bring up a good point too, is that these stadiums aren't just going in an open field somewhere, right? They're, they're going over something. Now, if it's stuff that is mostly abandoned or is being bought out, you can feel okay about it. But if it's, you know, not everything, just because it's old doesn't mean it's not valuable. Right. So, um, you know, the Braves are kind of an interesting example of that because they went to the suburbs. That would be, that would be kind of like the Royals going out to Overland Park or something like that. And, you know, I know this has been a discussion around the Dodgers series a little bit with some of the writers from LA about how there's actually been kind of some social implications of where the stadium's placed because they more or less did urban plight with the Braves stadium. And I believe it was like a Dodgers writer or whatever that called out the Do the Braves organization for doing that, for going to the burbs and abandoning downtown. Yeah, that was not a coincidence. It, I mean, we lost the All-Star game this year as well, Price. Like, the, these decisions are not made in a vacuum at all. Like, these decisions are made for the rich to get richer. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I know you. I know people get warm, fuzzy feelings about, like, old ballparks. And, I, I mean, I love the Georgia Dome. That was where I grew up going to Falcons games and, like, fell in love with the sport. So I get that there's emotional attachments to this kind of stuff. But business deal the fans have no impact in and the only reason sherman comes as worth educating is just to stir public public perception and and, and if you get people all already start talking about it and then, then maybe people are already resigned to the that it's going to happen by the time that it eventually happens in taxpayer money or public private entities whatever uh, it's going to happen i've seen some of the drawings i mean it, it doesn't look it looks pretty 
I mean, and KC's got a beautiful downtown too. I, I don't think that it would make it ugly or harder to get around, which are some of the arguments that I've heard against it. KC's already walkable, that power and light downtown area. Hell, I was at a T-Mobile Center last night, man. That that place deserves to have a team or a resident or, or, or a little bit more oomph. I know they don't necessarily want that, but uh, bringing, bringing the baseball a little bit closer to that, maybe maybe you get a little bit more oomph. Exactly. Well, speaking about social implications, last question I'm going to ask for you. Um, I read your bio. Can I please get an in-depth breakdown of Donda and what did you think of it as far as Kanye West album hierarchy goes? Oh my goodness. So I tweeted this a while. I tweeted when it first came out. I didn't think it was anything, anything very special. And I'll just admit that I was a very big Kanye fan for a long time. Like I was on the Kanye to the message boards. I was like, when Yeezus came out, I was up all night. I've been through all, everything with Kanye from the Red Hat incidents to his relationships to Jay-Z, the divorce with Kim. I was on the roller coaster. I was in the seat with Kanye West. And one day I just had to say, you know, I want off this ride. So now I hear his music through that lens, basically. And Donna just felt like a, it just felt like a collab album. It was not very focused at all. Lord have mercy, skip me the skits. I don't need people yelling Donda in my ear. I get that it's like an artistic stadium album, whatever, but I, I just want like a, a cohesive album. I'm a streaming era kid now. You gotta give me what you're giving me in 40 minutes and two hour runtime. Are you kidding me, Kanye? Like, come on, man. There were some high highs on there. I'm not gonna say it was a bad album. Obviously Kanye's albums, and I'm just comparing him to him. I'm not comparing him to anything else. Um, but it, it was probably in this after uh, after my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy era for, for me. I always grade those on a different scale. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, there's definitely some bops on that on that album. Jail is probably my favorite. The first first and the second one are both really good. Uh, Hurricane's good. But yeah, I mean, and I, it's just weird because I think Kanye's strength is as a producer and finding things that are so obscure and using them. And then for him to go more of the collab route, which I know which is the way a lot of that music is headed, but for him to go that route just feels kind of like a little forced for sure. Um, and you you said the correct answer, by the way, that Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is the pinnacle. Um, that's that's definitely, definitely the top. Someone has always said, like, you can always hear who Kanye is around when he's making his album. So, like, obviously, uh, like, the... Pablo album he was around Chance a lot and it has a lot of choruses and it's got a lot of like that influence and then this album you can hear who he's around in the album there's Marilyn Manson in here there's the baby over here he grabbed Jay-Z for a verse this was almost like a DJ Khaled album but it was Kanye playing the role of DJ Khaled because he's like who can I text in my phone right now that will send me a verse uh, I'm going to tour this album for two months before it comes out and then it's going to be the number one album for a little bit yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I forget what the name of it is. I think it's Jesus Walks or whatever the, or not Jesus Walks. It's what's the praise, the like gospel album that he did? He did uh, Jesus is King. Yeah, I actually, as someone who like grew up in a traditional Baptist church, I actually loved some of the elements of that because he used to put it on his Instagram and the Kardashians used to put it on their Instagram of him leading church service. I was like, I bet that's wild because he's, he's a wildly talented musician. He has an incredible ear. He's just, you know, probably just as crazy as a person as he is a musician he's a great arranger we, we spoke to that I mean like no matter what the genre is but it's talking about hearing him through a different lens I, I just I always saw the the 
oh, I'm only making holy music now and I'm only making religious music now as kind of a pivot from his whole Trump phase. And like, he never really explained that away for me. So when he went on the whole, I'm Jesus is King and I'm never cussing in my music again, I was like, all right, this is... <laughs> This is new yay, or excuse me, we should be calling him yay, right? Because excuse us, yes, uh, yeah. How how could we, Price? Because how how could Snoop we? Snoop yes. Lion and Yay, of course. Yes, Snoop Lion and Yay. Aaron, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Just give us a quick second. Tell us where we can find all your great work at. I'm always on Twitter, man. I'm probably on Twitter too much, but it's at Aaron Lad Zero. That's two A's, two D's, and the number zero. And then I'm always on Channel 41. That's the NBC station here in Kansas City. We're putting a lot of effort into our new our new Sunday the Sunday Sound Off. Excuse me. It's uh, back in studio now. It was on Zoom for 19 months. It was really weird. We were dealing with all this connection errors, but we're back in the studio. Uh, we're having fun with that show. So that's every night after Sunday Night Football. Come have fun with us, man. Yeah, that's like, uh, if you don't know, that show is modeled after Highly Questionable off of ESPN a little bit, but it's all Kansas City topics. So it's very topical to you. And I mean, you're already watching 41 News. They've got Mick Schaefer. You've got Aaron Ladd. And I mean, for God's sake, they've got Gary Lezak. What are you doing? If you're not watching <laughs> Gary Lezak for the weather, what are you doing? So Aaron, it's been a real pleasure, man. Super appreciate you joining us on Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Awesome. Y'all be easy.